Alright everybody, welcome to episode 4 of the Foreign Saints podcast. Uh, I like the first three episodes. I thought <laughs> the first three episodes were really good. Um, may have pushed on some buttons, hopefully in a really good way, um, but we're moving forward. Um, and just for, just to state it, um, we're not talking about it this episode, but I guess you could kind of consider uh, this first season's theme. Um, just to kind of be, I guess you could call it basic Christianity, kind of, sort of, trying to avoid uh, Satan's lullaby, mm-hmm. as my wife calls it, on a bunch of different facets mm-hmm. um, of life and just living out the faith. And this episode, um, we're talking about kingdom generosity, uh, what does it really mean, what does it look like to live out the generosity of the Father and the Son and to live out of the generosity of the father and the son then we're going to start um talking about you know social safety nets (laughs) um but i mean it's just a it's just a launching off point um for something that we're both pretty passionate about Um, i think the scriptures are pretty passionate about too um so uh, this is more this is this episode is more Meredith's impetus as far as it existing at all. Yeah. Um. So talk to the people. <laughs> that's that's kind of how we roll though. Is we we take something that we're kind of gr- going through or something we observe and bring it to Jesus, and that's kind of what uh, what kind of birthed this episode in a sense. So, um, we kind of touched on it a little bit in the parenting episode, but we welcomed our son Amari last summer, um, and. Um, shortly thereafter, we had to apply for WIC as the bullet points. And in that whole process, there's a whole whirlwind of events and whatnot in that situation. But, um, you know, again, putting it into bullet bullet point format. And um, I worked as a full-time special education teacher um, for three years. I have a master's degree, you know, by all earthly metrics, you know, I was checking all the boxes for success. We both were um, in that season um, when I got pregnant. Um, And um, if you're, if you are a teacher, you're friends with teacher, or you know somebody who's a teacher, you know that the state of education in the state of America is uh, not the absolute best. and especially North Carolina. Especially, see, you, see, you were afraid to say a specific. Oh, I, I'm, you I'm know, not. yeah, it's, it's it's especially bad in the area that we live in, and um, and <laughs> and the contract that I signed for um, last school year ended in May, which meant no paid maternity leave, and um, needless to say, finance finances were a little tight. Uh, last summer and moving into the end of last year and um, so we had to apply for WIC. And I just remember, you know, not not just all of the regular swirl of emotions with postpartum um, that are normal and expected, but I felt this kind of like a bit of shame almost for having to apply for WIC, like we failed, you know. Um, I had a master's, you know, I got my master's degree debt free. I, um, when we got married, we had a savings account that was pretty nice. And I'm about to get my, I did get my EMT debt free. That's Mm -hmm. not that much of an accomplishment, but I am about to get my degree uh, debt free. Associates in mm -hmm. respiratory 
therapy. Debt free. Debt free. That one's more yeah. of an accomplishment. <laughs> right. More of an accomplishment in grace, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's an episode to come. But just this, just this feeling of shame that like you know, we're doing everything right. You know, by all earthly wisdom, we're doing everything right. We don't spend that much at all. But you know, I mean, if you're listening to this, you know, uh, somewhat rel- uh, relatively close to its um, launch. Uh, you know that our economy is not that great either, and so, you know, if you're already not making a lot as it is and you're living in this current economy, the money's, money's especially tight. So, having me apply for government assistance, I just felt this shame, and um, as I started, like, thinking and praying over it, it's like, why am I feeling shame? You know, why, why is it that I have something in me that does not, not just want to accept government assistance, but accept help? You yeah, know? yeah, it's broader than it's that. It's broader than just a government assistance. Like, why is it that I that I feel a level of shame and disappointment in myself um, or in us that we that we have to ask for help to pay our bills? You know, whether it's through WIC or um, asking friends from church or our own family. Like, hey, we we are struggling to keep the lights on this month. You know, as you know, I was trying to find a new job, which the Lord just blessed us and threw on my lap <laughs> that I uh, have a very t- flexible teaching job now that I can do with Amari, praise the Lord, you know, and um, you're able to juggle both work and school, like, we're, we're working hard, but it's very evident that God's um, providential hand is on us right now in this season, and has been this whole time, right? But Which isn't terribly surprising. Yeah. I mean, something I joke about with her oftentimes is if you were to personify and we love every book of the bible <laughs> christian thing to say uh, but like but like if you were to personify yeah each one of us right. as a particular book of the bible right i've often joked that you would be more proverbs, <laughs> proverbs in yes. the sense that if i do this then, then this. this thing yeah. ought to happen right and i lean more towards ecclesiastes right. of, i'm not saying you're wrong right but, but, however, comma, doesn't always happen. Right, you know. And what are you going to do right. when that happens? Right, when it hits the fan, what you doing? And just kind of to that end, uh, first scripture verse of the day, I guess. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, obviously. <laughs> And in the day of adversity, consider. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Not necessarily hope. The consideration should lead you to a hope. Mm-hmm. But first, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Right? Like, And that sounds like kind of a downer, which happens in mm-hmm. the book of ecclesiastes but i mean it's not trying to move you into depression it's just trying to move you to see underneath whatever situation you're going through yeah. right because when things are going well we don't really consider right the lord even though we should and when things are going down we're equally uh able to miss what the Lord is doing and what Ecclesiastes is saying is hey when things are going good be joyful joyful in the Lord obviously and when things are down consider like God didn't let go of his hand on you mm. just because things are down now yeah like and Ecclesiastes's take one 
piece of the puzzle here is that part of the reason that God sends difficult times is in part, and I want to be careful saying this, but in part to cloud your vision, mm. right? But only on the stuff that you shouldn't be looking at, right? You know, like, and that's kind of what you yeah. know we walk through. Um, you a lot mm-hmm. more so than me in that season yeah. um just because like i've had my time in the book of ecclesiastes <laughs> in life um but yeah like hard times really clouds your vision yeah. when it comes to things that weren't really what you should have been looking at in the first right. place and it can help you clear your vision towards the things of god and what god has right. for you and i think right and all of that um yes and amen to all of that and i think you know, part of what we're about to flesh out in this season is kind of what we both kind of came to the conclusion of last year of, you know, for me specifically with why do I feel this shame and disappointment in applying for WIC? Um, And just realization of we have as a culture set like a stigma against asking for help, you know, as a culture and in the church, you know, in the church where we're, um, you know, especially here in the Bible Belt, we look at, you know, giving as explicitly, you sponsor your child through compassion and you tithe at church. You don't really necessarily see a lot of, hey, I, I met this person and they were down and out and, you know, um, I brought them to church and we blessed them with, you know, of pantry full of food and you know a couple hundred bucks to help them keep the lights on like you don't necessarily hear stories at least i don't you know with, with it, no expectation with no ex- back. right you know like you, you don't, don't even have to get saved off of this yeah we just want to bless you because we're com- you know we want to extend god's love to you like i don't necessarily hear a lot of stories along those lines it's usually you know an in-house thing which we're called to do that's great you know i hear that sometimes but i never really hear about that radical christianity that we're called to of like extending god's love to the community right so there's that piece within the church but also in the culture that we live in in america we have the stigma against these social programs like wick and snap which we're going to talk about in a second here that circles there can be a program against them yeah or a stigma against them yeah um but then even even deeper than that there's just generally a distrust mm-hmm. of your neighbor yeah in the sense that you don't believe that your neighbor would actually help you out in the midst of something and also you don't really have much of a drive to help too mm-hmm. many people other than you and maybe like a couple of the friends that will in, eventually benefit you right that will eventually benefit you you know the friends in your circle right yeah. which i think has shown since you know from covid forward you know Mm -hmm. ever since covid you know loneliness has been Mm -hmm. one of those things that's really uh it's really plagued a lot of people um you know big big shout out to you know resources like like better help and you know Mm -hmm. online therapy and stuff like that but and but all of those things are there you know trying to fill a gap yeah that we believe um, that we believe community, uh, very specifically redeemed community, um, was always intended to fill and take the place of. And so without that, we, we look for a lot of, um, you know, we're looking for a lot of things to kind of artificially give us 
um, a patchwork community instead of the robustness of what life we believe was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in its essence, right? Um, and help and financial help and stuff like that is just one mm. aspect of it. But with that, uh, with that, uh, for this episode, we like doing our best um, to stick to what we know is true. Yeah. And so we were like, yo, we don't even really understand or know the history right. of the system <laughs> that we're using. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, you know, let's look it up and let's see, you know, why did, why was this thing started? Mm -hmm. um, and in my, re and we'll talk about the, because we do research like individually and kind of talk about it collectively before we uh, come on here. Mm -hmm. um, so in my research, um, I found, I was looking into Wick specifically. Yeah, same. Um, and Wick kind of started not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, like what, 60s, 70s or yeah, so? Yeah, like in the 60s. Um, to combat very specifically, uh, open my notebook here, <laughs> talking off my head. Um, very specifically to combat malnutrition and you know in young uh, pregnant women which extends to infants and children as well that's why it's called WIC I didn't know that it's an acronym for women infants and children mm -hmm. uh, the special supplemental nutritional program for women infants and children but WIC is a lot easier to say yeah um, but yeah that like that's what it was created for very specifically you had doctors um, in their private practices and in public hospitals that would note um, just you know as they're doing their job um, that a lot of young mothers would come in and they have uh, disease processes that really just stem back to malnutrition and so you know movers and shakers started talking and you know kind of sort of grassrootsy too um, to the government to be like hey is there something that we can do about this mm -hmm. and so what was created it looked a bit different in its, in its infancy yeah. but it's essentially what you know of it today as but mm -hmm. in some ways it sounds a bit better um, yeah. your doctor was the one that would actually write you mm -hmm. like the food stamp was more like a prescription in the sense where your doctor would write you know kind of like today your doctor writes a prescription mm -hmm. you go to the pharmacy they fill it um, and that's kind of how it worked for this. They'd build, you know, specific food banks for this program. You know, doctors would write you a prescription, if you will, uh, for certain foods that had the things that you were deficient in. And you'd go to these food banks and they'd fulfill that yeah. prescription. And that's really how it worked. And it's changed over the years. But in essence, that's how it started. Yeah. And... A little brief history on food stamps, or it's called SNAP now. Um, the origin of it was kind of to kill two birds with one stone. So um, it was originated in the 30s, and it was um, to combat, you know, uh, the poverty, you know, and lack of food. So you would go to the store and you would purchase these orange stamps. So for every dollar you spent in orange stamps, you got 50 cents. 50 cents of blue stamps so you could use those blue stamps to buy surplus food so then it would keep um, all of this uh, it would decrease there we go that's the word decrease the um, the amount of surplus food that they would be wasting so combat two birds and one stone and they found in you know this also kind of correlates a little bit with the beginning of World War two here but it ended in 1943 you know what four 
four years after it started um, since it brought quote brought the program into being un, um, the conditions that brought the program into being unmarketable food surpluses and widespread unemployment no longer existed so because of the way that this program operated it became to, it got to a point that they didn't even need to exist in the first place and when I read and combined that, with the and combined with some other things going yeah, on in society at the time, of course, big economic booms and stuff from mm -hmm. being well, able to right. produce everything for the Second <laughs> World War, basically, right? You know, produce and, all the stuff and not really have to bear the physical burdens of war. That that helps out. Yeah, but also the even with that consideration, my mind went to that's that's how the church ought to operate. You know, like obviously food stamps, you know, they don't even call them food stamps anymore. It's supplemental nutritional aid program, right? Right. So we call it SNAP. Um, but, you know, everybody kind of remembers it as food stamps. But like, obviously the program looks drastically different than it did in the 30s, you know. Um, but my mind went to like, this is how the church ought to operate when it comes to giving, you know, like there's a need and within a very short amount of time, it's gone. You know, like the conditions in which necessitated that need, they're gone in four years. That's crazy to me. Um, but with that, too, like I also was looking into um, kind of some like data on the um, results of these programs. And the one that I wanted to mention was WIC with breastfeeding, right? Now, it's pretty common knowledge like breast milk is more nutritional than formula for babies, you know, and. Um, with that, there's a stigma along the lines within motherhood communities, right, of how you feed your baby. You know, you're a bad mother if you can't breastfeed. You're a bad mother if, you know, fill in the blank how you feed your kid, right? That's also an element of um, a stigmatized shame that we've kind of built in our culture, right? All that aside, we know breast, breastfeeding is more nutritional than formula. And since WIC started and... Each year, they've kind of added to their program and revised it, right? In the last 10 years, so the data goes from 2011 to 2021, the rate increases exponentially every year for moms that are in the program that breastfeed. And the rates of exclusively formula-fed babies go down, you know? Now, if you have to formulate, form, uh, excuse me, supplement with formula here and there, that's fine. I've had to. And I remember that was another moment where I'm like, why do I feel shame in giving my son formula? Like my body didn't fail. I'm literally just sick. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I got mastitis and I was very sick, so I couldn't feed him. And, um, so I had to supplement with formula. And that was another moment to kind of take this back to like, why do I feel shame in accepting help? Like formula is an act of like God's providence, you know, that is an uh, element that God can provide for you. Right. And so seeing that through this program, they have lactation consultants at some locations, like every location is a little bit different based on community um, funding and resources that are available and what have you. But overall, as WIC, um, as an organization, or all of them um, have seen an increase in all communities, which I think is just wild. Again, it's one of those like there there's results in living in community in like you said, not just giving generously, but receiving it as well, you know, yeah. because if we're called to, as the church, be generous, it would keep me from allowing you to obey your call to be generous if I kept you from it. If I said, no, you can't help me, like, then what does that do for you when you were called to help me? 
And in my experience, you know, picking up patients on the ambulance and seeing them in hospitals and stuff, I've I've talked with a lot of patients where like their problem could have been alleviated or severely reduced had they just humbled themselves. Yeah. And accepted the help that was there and i get it you know people want to say you know the healthcare system's broken and these public services are broken and dude i would say that too like i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a hebrews guy like i'm i'm hoping in the better country that jesus is going to set yeah. up but while i'm hoping for those better things i can still appreciate even the good that can come through a broken system right. and sometimes i think we lean too much on that you know yeah. we say oh well it's broken I'm like, well, whoever told you that if it's broken, it can't help a little bit. Right. Like, it's, you're it's broken. A, yeah. That's you a, help yep. people. Right. If I can't accept help from a broken system, can I accept help from a broken person? Like Who make up those systems. Who make up systems. You know? Like, systems are made up of people. So, it's one of those, like, if I can't accept help from my husband, my family, like, let alone a system, you know? But you're, you're not designed to live in isolation. You know, that's in the, what, first chapter, first two or three chapters of Genesis. Man man was not designed to live alone. And the theme is carried through the biblical text, right? Like, in a lot of ways, you can look at the story of the scriptures as the story of how God is saving the world Mm -hmm. by building a forever community. Yep. Through broken people. Through broken people. I mean, that's literally the story. Yeah. You know? Um, Without glamorizing said broken people. Right, right. Without glamorizing them. And as it says in the Proverbs, man, like those that isolate, really? Mm -hmm. Like like Proverbs really cuts to the heart of it too, you know? Like some of the the Proverbs just like cut you, man. (laughs) And this is one of them. Like those that live in isolation, paraphrasing here, but those that live in isolation just want to do their own thing. And they break out against... All sound judgment. I'm going to look it up here, but just to give you all like the actual verbatim of the verse. But yeah. like isolation and living life on your own is not something that God necessarily puts a stamp of approval on. And yeah, you can put, uh, you can highlight stories in the scriptures of saints that had to quote unquote walk alone. Um, but those seasons were never permanent and they're always looked at as a way for those people to kind of identify with the suffering of their savior it wasn't Mm. ever seen as like like a norm Mm. of human existence it's like jesus was rejected by people and so you will be too and that's a suffering Mm. there's glory in it if you take it in christ but to willingly put yourself through that unnecessarily when you could get help is not that, that, that that's not a badge of honor that that's not oh look at me i didn't need any help it's oh look at that fool who didn't accept help when there was no restriction on it you just wanted to do life in a harder way to stroke your own ego mm. really is what it is mm. yeah yeah for sure and i think you know it it, it comes down to pride you know, but it's like a weird, twisted form of pride that most people don't acknowledge as pride. And that's, that's something that the Lord really convicted me with in this season of, you know, I, 
I kind of have been lying to myself that I'm a pretty humble person. I care for a lot of people. I, you know, I'm a teacher for Pete's sake, you know, like all these lies. You, you have the wonderful career, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's, that's pride. You know, why am I so heartbroken over not having my job anymore? Like, truthfully, I do love my job. I love working with kids and helping them reach their goals. But why was it so devastating to have it in the way it did? Why, you know, does it, does it hurt so bad that I can't, you know, fill in the blank? Um, and it comes down to pride, you know, because it's a lot of the me, my, I statements. And those are all self-centered, you know. It is a selfish thing to want to be glorified for my career, you know, instead of going into it with humble intentions and... Um, why do I feel a sense of shame because of applying for WIC or asking for help to help pay our bills? Because there's just a sense of pride that I should be providing for my bills 100% of the time and it's me, my, I statements come into play again. You know, and again, it's a, and then that ripple effects into culture, right? And as a culture, we don't want to ask for help because we want to be known as the self-made man, you know, like... I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I, you know, got the work done. I didn't need anybody, you know, I did the, you know, I got my elbows, um, elbows dirty, you know, like. Which, as we'll see, is a philosophy that <clears throat> strikes against mm -hmm. the very core of the gospel of grace. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of Proverbs, I found the verse. <laughs> couple different versions actually mm. um but the esv version which is what i read um says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire mm. there's that word again mm -hmm. desire we dig into that a lot around these parts he breaks out against all sound judgment mm -hmm. all of it the amplified bible puts it like this he who willfully separates himself willfully mm. if circumstances force your separation that's different you know what i'm saying the rest of the world wants to follow nonsense and you're saying well i'm following jesus and there's no one else next to me you didn't choose isolation you chose to follow jesus and isolation was just kind of a necessary uh cross to bear for a time but to willfully separate yourself unnecessarily yeah and the idea in that text is separating himself from God and man. Yeah. That person seeks his own desire. Yeah. They just do. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And like I said, it's one of those truths that cuts the soul. But if you think about it in relation to your own life and actions and people that you know and stuff like that, you see the truth in it, man. Mm. You see the truth in it. It's kind of like what the Apostle John says in his gospel, right? That those that live according to the light press mm -hmm. into the light to show that their mm -hmm. deeds are of God. Mm. Those that are already living in darkness and don't want to give it up, when the light comes, they run, they flee, they fight against it. Mm. You know, and, I, and I've seen it. You know, the light of aid. I'm not even saying government aid. Just aid mm -hmm. in a, in anything. You know what I'm saying? Do you want help getting off drugs? Do you want help paying your rent? They're the same question in mm -hmm. my mind, even though we tend to tear yeah. them. You know? And we tend to shift how we help or how much or to the extent 
that we will help based off of a person's circumstances, right? Not, you know, I'm not saying you should willingly do whatever that person says is helpful, right? Always use discretion when you're offering, um, you know, but that doesn't, that ought not to stop you from helping. And I feel like a lot of times we talk about giving aid, like say we have somebody on drugs, right? Um, they're asking for help to pay their bills and you're like, well, I'm not going to give you money. You're just going to go get high. It's like, no, you can still help them. You know, yeah, you maybe can. it's, Hey, I'll pay your landlord directly. Maybe it's, I will get you a food line gift card to help you get groceries, whatever it may be, you know, like use wisdom and discretion when helping, you know, don't just willy nilly be like, Oh, you're asking for a hundred bucks. Here's 150, you know? Yeah. There's there's wisdom in asking questions of like how can I really help and will this actually help you like yeah that's fine and that's a wise thing to do, um, but that shouldn't stop you and oftentimes because that in and of itself goes against what James says and against showing partiality right but again that comes back to that as a culture we have this quote unquote humble sense of pride no I'm helping a person you know but. No, you're really not because you're just kind of helping your inflate your ego a little bit by giving a $5 bill to a, a homeless person instead right. of like giving them some time to give them the gospel to be like, how can I truthfully help you? What do you actually need besides, you know, food right now? Like, because again, that, that goes against partiality. We're being partial in how we're helping. So, and to just scratch to, an itch. Right. And just to kind of quote from the scriptures here, um, approaching our last kind of, I mm -hmm. guess, 10 minutes or so in this segment. Um, in Matthew 6, uh, Constitution of the Kingdom, um, heck, maybe, I don't know, we might have a, I don't know, we might have a series where you just walk through chapters 5, 6, and 7. Yeah, really. That's, like, that's, that would be wild. There's a lot there. <laughs> um, but in chapter 6, uh, you know, our Lord says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We know about that. But then this, verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Down to verse 3, But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and all that jazz. Right? It doesn't say if right. you give to the needy. It says when. Right. You know, it's kind of like fasting, but different episode. Um, <laughs> the way Jesus talks about it, there's an implicit assumption that you will be a giver. And he's and he's guiding how you're going to do that according to his precept. But there's not really a choice about how Jesus' followers live. Like, you're, we, we are a giving kingdom. That's right. just what we are. And consider even um, what is titled in most bibles the lord's prayer i would encourage a lot of people to scratch that out and put the disciples prayer mm. the disciples petition if you will mm. disciples heart even you know because everything that you pray should be able to be you should be able to take a line and draw it back to some statement mm. in this prayer everything you pray mm. but again different episode um but you look at, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know all that stuff. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Right? Like, no matter what your status on earth, Jesus teaches every single one of us to come before our Father. In some ways, as a beggar. 
Like that's what that that's what that uh, clause right there. Give us this day our daily bread. David in the Psalms mm. even would refer to himself as, I'm just a beggar, mm. and I'm even kind of shocked that the Lord even is mindful of me. And I'm like, David, you're a king. <laughs> what do you mean? You know? And it's like, do you remember like, what God brought you from to make you a king? Hello. Right. You know? And it's like David did, and he never forgot, which is why he was always mm -hmm. he was always a beggar in the king's courts. Yeah. Always. But I don't think we I don't think we uh we think like that. And if and that's I, what you are, it changes right. how you live out. Yeah, and is I, eager to put something And in I there. think too it's an interesting point to bring up because we often will look you know, like what you said, but also another way of looking at that is you have people that will pray this prayer. But they, you know, the, we call them the vending machine prayers. God, give us this. God, can you do this? God, can you do this? Right? We're asking God for all these things. But we negate how he gives us those things because it's not our way. You right. know? Like, you know, in that season, like, my deepest prayers were, God, please, you know, provision. <laughs> be able to be able to put food on the table and keep the lights on and and i'm not too picky how yeah you know and i realized in that moment i was you know like i don't know what wick really like no i can't what that means i failed and god's like no <laughs> this is just how i'm providing for you in this season mm -hmm. you know like you can't just didn't beg like and plead. taste the manna too much did you yeah wanted something else huh? right we'll get into that <laughs> we will get into that yep um another verse uh teaching from jesus here um interesting uh this one's out of luke luke 12 uh, perhaps my personal favorite we're just ripping out all the scriptures today uh, i mean because that's what we do that would be a feat but we're ripping <laughs> out some of them um luke chapter 12 verse verses 32 onward fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom yeah sit on that man like why should you not be afraid in this life and in this particular context why should you not be afraid about a lack of provision hmm. hello hmm. why jesus says it's literally because you should know that it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom because you know that your father delights hmm. that one of the deepest joys of a father's heart is bequeathing the kingdom and the things of it to his children hmm. you don't have to be afraid like the rest of the world is hmm. that they're not gonna have enough and he even presses forward right sell your possessions and give to the needy ouch don't you wish it stopped with that first one? Oh, I just love to receive, you know? But Jesus says, no, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we say that, we throw that verse around all the time, but like, do we actually sit on like all the commands that were in that? For you know? real for real like where is your treasure truthfully are you you know like when's the last time you've <laughs> given to the needy i'm even yeah. gonna, i'm even going to include the little bit of change to a beggar on the street corner mm -hmm. even that mm -hmm. how many times since your new birth yeah have you 
Yeah. You ever had, ever roomed someone in your house that couldn't pay you back? Mm-hmm. You know, anything, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, because we are called to be an extension of God's light, right? Like, God's light, God's love and generosity. He delights in giving his children gifts. Not just are you giving, but are you doing it joyfully? You know, because the Lord loves a joyful giver. Indeed. We'll so, get into that. And we will get into that. But, Literally in the next segment, <laughs> But it, it, it's, it comes all around full circle. Like, does your pride not just get in the way of honestly asking God for help and being willing to accept what he has for you as an answer? But also, are you willing to let go of what you've been given to be able to extend the grace that's been extended to you? And are you willing to confront the sinful mistrust of other people that, you know, your sin nature fosters and that the enemy Mm. stokes? Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to read some verses out of Leviticus. (gasps) Yeah, I I co-sign Leviticus because it's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Like, Who reads Leviticus? Gosh, man, don't don't listen to the don't, don't listen to the uh, to certain agenda that would say that the book sucks because oh my gosh, you can't wear stuff with mixed fabrics. Oh my Tattoos, gosh, man. oh my gosh, homosexuality is an abomination. I'm like, look, if y'all want to exegete both of those verses, we can do that. Yeah. But if we're just going cherry pick them out, I feel like you're just a scoffer and don't really want to understand the book anyway, in which case I'm going to keep stepping with my people that want to ride. Listen, Leviticus just screams the love and grace of Jesus. Yeah, y'all that don't know it just ain't read it. Yeah. Or, I remember know, the first time I like legit studied mm-hmm. Leviticus a couple years ago, I just kept telling you like, dang, 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 man, man, this gets such a bad rap. I'm not this nice. That's... <laughs> 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 That's what I, how I feel. And that's how you're going to feel, too. And I'm not even going to read all of it, right? Yeah. All right. Here, here we go, bruh. Here we uh, go. When you reap the harvest of your land. This is Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 9. For all those that would like to look it up later and reconvict fact, themselves. Fact check you. Right. I'm just reading. Fact check what you want. When you <laughs> reap the harvest of your land. Picture it. When you harvest the vegetables and crops that you planted that you slaved over metaphorically speaking in the winds and rains and in in the harshness that you got up early for when you reap the fruit of your labor working in them hard boots with them bootstraps that like to be laced up you shall not reap your field you shall not harvest your field right up to its edge in other words i know you worked for all of it but you're not going to harvest all of it Mm what but god I. what was the point but god I, what was the reason but i worked for all this yeah and you shall not strip your vineyard bare but god i i managed and i was the one that put that vineyard yeah but you're not going to neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard the grapes that fall off the vine heck i, I think that even means the grapes that fall out of your basket as you're working <laughs> You shall not harvest those. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And for any of y'all that are like, But God, what possible reason would I have to do that? This is his reason. I am the Lord, your God. And implied, you know, the one that rescues you out of Egypt. You wouldn't even have a vineyard if not for me. Mm. 
You wouldn't even have crops of your own if not for me. I'm commanding you to look out for other Israels out there. For other oppressed peoples out there. Don't harvest everything you got. Leave the outer edge and the stuff that's fallen onto the ground for those that don't have anything. Which also means, by the way, that you have to be okay with letting who knows who walk on the edges of your property mm. and not be mad at it. Mm. You see what I mean when I say we are not this nice? Yeah. You understand how Israel might not have ever really lived up to these to this stuff? This is like a couple sentences. This is a whole book, man. I don't remember the Pharisees ever quoting that. Interesting, right? Interesting, right? Oh, man. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Golly. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. That sounds pretty social safety netish to me. Hmm. I'm just saying it sounds like it. You shall not put systemic barriers, gasp, in the way of people. Leviticus is talking about breaking down systemic barriers out of a fear of the Lord. Alright, social justice rightly interpreted is social holiness. Mm. That's what it is. Alright, which is why this world can't ever seem to attain it. Because you need Jesus for it. Yep. Right? And it's yep. also why sometimes we run from it because it requires us to be more than just the holier-than-thou church people. Ooh. That we don't even know that we're being sometimes. I'm not even Ooh. trying to be mean. It's just it's, it's how we live, man. Ooh. That again. Just how we live, dog. Verse 17 You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Hmm. Appreciate the contrast there. To not reason frankly with your neighbor about issues where you might disagree or just through an issue, period. The alternative to that is hating him in your heart. That's the level that God holds these things at. Right? And that's oftentimes what we do. You know, are you going to hate your brother in your heart for situations that don't really pertain to you? Or are you going to step out of your comfort zone and reason with him? Be like, hey, brother, how how can I help? Right. And when he says a way that doesn't sound too wise, do you walk away hating your brother in your heart? Mm. Or do you want to persist and see if he's willing to take some kind of correction and be like, okay, I see why you would think that's an aid and even in the short term it might be but can we talk about some more long-term solutions mm -hmm. maybe i don't give you that much maybe I give you a little bit but also take you under my wing to train you and how mm -hmm. to make something that lasts and maybe not just offer my finances but offer my time which is the more valuable of the commodities if yeah. we're gonna be honest here yep you know i'm just saying all of this comes off of love your neighbor as yourself that's in leviticus jesus quoted leviticus mm -hmm. he didn't make that original i mean he did make it originally because he inspired this <laughs> but you know what i'm saying during his earthly ministry right. he's quoting from leviticus from leviticus when he says stuff like that dog you know like that's that's what he's doing yeah you know now that's a lot to digest in this first segment so we're gonna have our first and i think only meditation of this episode but in the next segment all right we're going to confront we're going to attempt to confront um this myth of the welfare queen Ooh. that likes to plague the minds mm -hmm. of those that are more uh reddishly inclined in thought 
and thought patterns, you know. Mm. But also, we're going to go to the Word of God through Paul on the matter in 2 Corinthians and just exegete about two whole chapters of the Bible. Mm. If you're not there for that, then you're not there for that. But it's going to be some good stuff. Did a dry run of it the other day. Yeah. Convicted every time. All yeah. right. But until then, enjoy the break. We have a bit of a longer intermission today, uh, checking in on Christian communities in three places around the world. Firstly, an update from the field in Vietnam via Voice of the Martyrs for all three. Vietnam has a repressive communist government that actively restricts Christian worship. While Christian worship is legal, the government views Christians and churches as a threat to its power and control. Minority tribal groups such as Hmong with an H generally face the most violent and harsh forms of persecution from local authorities. Churches continue to grow as believers faithfully reach out despite these challenges. It was said that while many people around the world, it was sad that while many people around the world were celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, there was a church in rural central province that became surrounded by hundreds of local authorities trying to stop the church members from coming to worship. Uh, please remember all of them in your prayers. One young girl, Zhang, was kicked in the chest so hard she ended up coughing up blood. She had to be admitted to the hospital. Later, two other brothers were also attacked. One of the victims, Sam, sustained severe head and facial injuries plus two broken legs. He was rushed to the hospital and was in a coma for more than a day. He is continuing medical treatment. They ask that you pray for the Lord to heal and fully restore those who are directly attacked. Pray for all who witness these attacks, that they won't be fearful and continue to encourage one another in the faith. Pray that church leaders will minister well to their flocks and remain strong in faith. Pray that they be a good example. And ask God to have mercy on the perpetrators and pray the witness of these faithful believers will be powerfully used by God. Praise God that churches continue to grow in tribal areas of Vietnam. Our next update uh, comes from Ukraine. Uh, the war raged by Russia against Ukraine has a strong religious component. Russia wants to establish a new order called the Russian world, in which there is no room for evangelical believers. Russians made their intentions clear in their communication with evangelical pastors in the occupied territories. For Russians, evangelical Christians in Ukraine, or I guess I should say for the Russian administration, evangelical Christians in Ukraine represent a Western world with its freedom and democracy that is a threat to Russian control and power. The level of persecution in the territories occupied by Russians is very high. Persecution of evangelicals includes pressure, detention, expulsion, confiscation of church property, death threats, torture, and murder. So please pray that the Lord would grant courage, wisdom, strength, and discernment to Christians in occupied territories. Ask the Lord for his divine protection to be on church leaders who are particular targets. Ask the Lord to bring an end to the violence and allow for rest and peace in Ukraine that allows for easier preaching of the gospel. Pray that the Lord would be powerfully at work in unifying and strengthening believers and equipping them to be a strong witness for the gospel throughout Ukraine. And our last update comes from Nepal. Bimala Thokar came to faith in Christ in 2021 through the witness of her daughter. The Buddhist people of their Nepalese village disapproved of Bimala and her family becoming Christians and sharing the gospel with others. Local Buddhist monks called the police to accuse Bimala of evil practices and illegally spreading the Christian religion. 
At the police station, Bimala answered the charges by explaining her Christian faith. The police officer in charge identified himself as Christian and encouraged Bimala in her faith. No charges were filed. Instead, villagers who had previously shunned Bimala and verbally abused her slowly began to accept her and ask her to pray with them. Bimala remains strong in her faith and desires that a fellowship of Christians would be started in her village. Please pray. Praise God first for Bimala's faithful witness and for his intervention in her life. And ask the Holy Spirit to be actively at work through the prayers of Bimala. Pray that many may come to experience his mercy and pray for all those ministering to the unreached and remote and difficult to reach areas of northern Nepal. Always got to keep sure that you're paying attention and caring about what's going on with your Christian brothers and sisters around the world that are experiencing similar trials to what you go through every day. And now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show. Um, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Um, if you are, you should probably subscribe. Share it. All right. With somebody you think that would also enjoy it. All right. Pay attention to notifications, man. Yeah. We're working hard on these, man. We're working hard. <laughs> We're trying to time these things between naps yep. and stuff like this. All right. At least you could do share the good work. You know what I'm saying? At least you could do. But like I said, um, before we get into the scriptures, I just want to spend a bit more time just on some history. We're going to be bouncing about history. Um, on this one especially um, but just that idea of the welfare queen um, mm. you know that person that eh, stereotypically um, like a leech yeah like a leech you know what I'm saying but like human though mm. <laughs> but um, you know stereotypically uh, it's usually like a minority um, minority woman that's just kind of cheesing the welfare system um, and that's usually the sort of thing uh, that gets uh, people on board with kind of being against uh, programs like these. Um, it feeds the stigma. Yeah. Yeah, it feeds the stigma. And um, I just wanted to, you know, I want to do a little bit of research um, into kind of where that, where that comes from, if there's any merit to it. And, of course, with any sin under the sun, you can find a group of people that do it. But the question that we really ought to ask is, is that the regular thing? Is that the regular thing to do to abuse us? Because every system gets abused. Yeah. Right? Like, if, if we want to talk about how good a system is based on how abusable it is, <laughs> I mean, your, your line gets pretty arbitrary really quickly since every system under the sun yep. is and will be abused up until, the, up until everything's recreated, really. Um, but as far as the welfare queen goes, um, what I found uh, was kind of coming back to, at least in modern American culture, um, this lady that went by the name of Linda Taylor. At least we hope that's her real name. She <laughs> had quite a few aliases. It might just um, be the name that she stuck with after a while. It might be, you know. Um, and from what I could find in my research... Um, she was kind of somebody that, you know, Ronald Reagan, when he was on the campaign trail, and yeah, I'm going to talk about Reagan in a slightly less than mystified awe kind of way, because no man is above being analyzed. <laughs> and upon 
analyzation we'll see if approach is necessary <laughs> you know but any man can be put under the microscope and then oh. we'll just try and be honest about what we see there Reagan. in its entirety and of course he didn't you know um and i think one of them might have just been being your run-of-the-mill politician you know yeah. what i'm saying like um from what i could find again i wasn't alive during all that so people that work and correct me if you want um we're open to that and it'll boost our ratings in the algorithm so please do my guy um you can send voice recordings and we might just uh we might just play i'm just saying i'm just saying if you feel that itch boost our algorithm okay that's all i'm saying all right if not then let us stay in our lane but mm -hmm. reagan apparently campaign a big part of his campaign was on um you know fixing the welfare system um and he told a story one time of a lady who's like a super abuser of the system and it was this chick this linda taylor chick um she would literally drive a freaking cadillac to like to the freaking yeah. financial aid office man and i'm like that is wild you know when she was on trial eventually for cutsy cutsy man you ain't seen nothing like when she was on trial for the fraud she wore some of her most expensive outfits to court big old showy hats you know got called out for perjury and everything you know <laughs> more than that it's definitely more than that you know what i'm saying i just pointed out because unlike my wife here i'm a big ace attorney fan mm -hmm. and so i'm reading this chick most like, people don't even know what that they is. don't have to this this is my podcast i'm just saying they're not gonna understand i can the reference, reference it nobody knows about i can things. reference it okay and don't nobody <laughs> understand your references to extended star wars lore okay like more people would than Ace right. <laughs> Okay. We'll see. If we're talking proper Star Wars, you might have a point. But extended lore, I think it might have them beat. Whatever. Okay? Whatever. Alright. Objection's a meme. Give me one Star Wars book that's a meme. Book? I've won the debate, alright? Oh my gosh. Alright. Back to the topic at hand. Anyways. Right? She was kind of paraded, right, as kind of the poster child of... The welfare system. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you leave it unregulated, you leave it unchecked, you're going to get a bunch of Linda Taylors, which feels really disingenuous when you look at her entire rap sheet. Like, she was, I don't know if I can say a mob boss or nothing, but, like, she had the rap sheet of a mob boss. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like she That's for dang like, sure. She, like, oh, my gosh, dog. Like, in, in, into baby trafficking and, yeah. all, and all sorts of other stuff. Ooh. And I'm like... Are we seriously saying that this person is, is representative even of people that cheese the system? Yeah, really. Like, dog, like, you know? And, but, but you know, it was, it was a powerful story. It's a powerful anecdote. Made more powerful by the fact that she was a real person. Yep. And, you know, so that combined with the fact that we're just naturally suspicious of everybody else that isn't us mm -hmm. due to our sin nature, in my opinion. And, you know, we have a stigma against uh you know against um against welfare and this idea that you know well you never know if the person's on it is just abusing it and that's where statistics are useful you know looking at some numbers from the u.s bureau of labor statistics um recently and from about a decade ago and you see consistently that people that um by and large that people that are living off um living with these assistance programs consistently are uh, having to survive on much smaller mm -hmm. yearly income budgets than um, your average 
household with children, um, with minor children, um, that aren't on these systems. They don't need these systems. You know, like you see anywhere from, you know, two-thirds the uh, yearly incomes to a little under half uh, the yearly income. Um, so, I mean, like, this idea that people just kind of float through the system just isn't really founded in facts. It's, the analogy that I would give, right, is, you know, when people on the left sometimes just not necessarily lie about guns they just show their ignorance about guns through the way they talk about them mm -hmm. um you know we were like that's not what an ar is do you even know what an automatic means in yeah. terms of gun language like do you know these things um like do you understand that like changing a certain grip or a stock doesn't really do anything mm. to reduce the efficacy of you know this weapon system like you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, you just betray your ignorance of mm. guns. It's not a lie. You just show yourself to not know much. And same thing when it comes to programs like this. Some of the things that get said sometimes on the other side of the aisle, uh, you know, on the, on the right or conservative side, just show their ignorance of how these things work. And praise God that you're ignorant of how these things work. That you don't need to know. Like, it's not an indictment. Mm. I'm just saying, like... You show that you right. don't really know how this works by right. your accusation. Like, this idea that you can just kind of easily, <laughs> or even with mild difficulty, buy what you want. It's like, no, you can't. Yeah. Especially nowadays, the freaking cash registers are coded to where it won't accept you mm -hmm. buying anything else other than the approved right. foods. Right. I know this now, having used it and mm -hmm. having worked at Walmart myself. I've seen both sides right. of the it's aisle, not, it's bro. Like, Tuna is an approved item on WIC, but I can only buy certain t brands of tuna. Right. You know, produce, you get like a lump amount for produce, but only certain types of produce. You can't get the bougie avocados and whatnot. No, it's like five or six veggies that you can get. You know, you're not going to get the fancy organic mangoes with your produce budget. You know, you yeah. can get some apples. Yeah. They're still healthy, and that's yeah. a great help. I'm not, and I'm not criticizing Wick for having those yeah. restrictions necessarily. Right. Even if I can see that some of these restrictions are completely arbitrary. Right, like the tuna brands. Similar two brands to cost the same amount. <laughs> similar to how you know certain uh, more blue-leaning legislation was completely pointless with certain gun laws you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying like you don't tell me that changing the angle of a certain grip by like three and a half degrees is gonna prevent the next sandy hook come on man mm -hmm. but likewise with this stuff like yo yo republican guy are you telling me that restricting people to certain brands of tuna mm -hmm. is somehow preventing fraud right like i don't think you understand how this works my Who's guy to say i'm not just going to use all my wick benefits on one brand of tuna and then sell it you know you know like, i'm gonna make bank off of reselling <laughs> my six cans of tuna a month <laughs> you know but, but all that brings me to like like we we, we gotta stop looking at people like that the yeah. apostle paul wrote in corinthians the second one i believe we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. Mm. Since Christ, we don't. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's mm. part of what aided them being able to preach to all, because they weren't focused on outward appearances. You know what right. I'm saying? You got tattoos, you got a lip ring, I don't care, we preaching. Yep. You got a suit, you look clean, I don't care, you need to repent. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like We're not judging people based on mm. the flesh, right? Because 
we don't do that with Christ, and Christ doesn't do that with us, so we're not going to do that out in the world. That's not the creed we were given. That's not the way we were told to walk. You know what I mean? We, when, when it comes to Christian virtues, when it comes to the virtues and stuff that God told us to live by, love your neighbor, be generous, that sort of thing, right? Our neighbors get those based on a common humanity shared not based on an arbitrary common morality shared mm. Oof. right like because that's oftentimes how we think about it right like if they believe the same things as us if mm -hmm. they you know I'm if they dot the you, same eyes yeah. that yep. i think are worth dotting then yeah. they're worthy of help and my grace and to be sure you got to be somewhat judicious with it um but not in the way that the world trains us to be judicious with grace, right? Are they human? If so, they're eligible. Well, yep. they also have to be alive. But <laughs> if they're human and alive, then they're eligible for grace. At that point, the only distinct, the only distinguishing factors really are how much can I help them and how much are they willing to be helped. Hmm. But it's not really about their situation per right. se, right? Right. Meredith, have you got anything while well, I kind of yeah up to, like, no I think here. I think too like I said it it just reminds me of James you know like once we start doing that and saying we're only going to help you know fill in the blank it it goes against the whole nature of grace you know like grace is supposed to be freely given not with strings attached and so when you're giving these stipulations like okay, I'm only going to give money to a homeless person if I know for a fact they're not on drugs. I'm only going to help this person if they agree to go to church every Sunday with me. You know what I mean? Or and some of those stipulations are even based in wisdom. Some aren't, mm -hmm. but some are. But just right. make sure that even the stuff based in wisdom is still it according to the love of Christ. Right, and it doesn't negate the fact that you were giving graciously. Right. And I found the verse I was talking about. It is Second Corinthians chapter 5. Talking about the ministry reconciliation. I think it's really mm. deep. Because it means that this is like the lifeblood of how we go about our God-given ministry of bringing people back to God. Yeah. You know? I don't mind using that language. Because mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> this, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul writes starting in 14. For the love of Christ controls us that's the foundation mm. the love of christ is what controls us and that's what uh you know creates the thought process that lies ahead right if you're attracted to it repent and get it yourself you know what i mean for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this mm. how do you know the love of christ controls you mm. do you agree with this conclusion that one has died for all Therefore, all have died. Mm. If Jesus died for everybody, then I guess we're all dead. If you agree with that conclusion, then I guess we might be able to say the love of Christ controls you. And, because there's more to this, and he died for all. Ooh. Do you agree with this? That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Since he died for all, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you agree with that? Mm. Every tenet of it, not just pieces of it. Mm. 
If so, then the love of Christ controls you. And if so, then verse uh, 16. From now on, because of this, because of this eternal truth, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old passed away, the new has come. All this is from God. All this, the text makes clear, is the new things that are from God. All of those new things are from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was and still is, guys, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Alright? So make your appeal a good one. Mm. Make your appeal a good one. Then use your money and your resources like a crowbar into the hearts and souls of men. Because it's a really effective one if you know how to use it. You know? Jumping forward to our star text. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. All right, this is going to be fun. Meredith, chime in as you feel you want to. All right. Paul talking here to the church in Corinth. Hence the name. Hence the name. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. All right. All right, cool. It's a setup. Wants them to know. All right. All right, Paul. What grace from God was given to those Macedonian churches? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. How's that possible? How does poverty lead to generosity? Only Mm. in Christ. But we'll see. For they gave according to their means. Underline that. According to their means. Right? Which is something you'll see consistently in Paul's writings. If you don't have the faith to move a mountain, then don't try to. But if your faith can move a pebble, I expect you to be moving those. Yep. Right? Move according to what you got. If you only got $10, you can only be generous up to $10. But do be. But do be. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word favor, Greek word karis, also sometimes translated as grace. Right? So what were they asking? They begged the apostles earnestly for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Ever been a time since your new birth where you were begging God earnestly for the grace Mm. of being able to take part in the relief of the saints? Mm. Or just people? Mm. I hope so. I hope so. And if not, it's not a condemnation. It's an invitation. Right. This is how we are, man. We're foreigners to this world. Embrace it. And as you embrace it more and more, you'll find more and more life. Right. In your own soul, man. In in your own life. Practically. And this not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Mm -hmm. Right? The love of Christ controlled them too. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. 
But as you excel in everything, and here I think Paul's being a bit sarcastic because the Corinthians did not excel in a lot mm. when you read their letters, mm -hmm. you know? But they thought they did. They thought they were big shots. You know what I'm saying? That's why they kind of dissed Paul. Because they're like, oh, you're kind of broke as a joke, Paul. And, you know, we're kind of yeah. put together and we kind of <laughs> know how life works. I think we've kind of progressed past you, my man. And so Paul's kind of like, well, as you excel in everything. In faith, in, in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. Some things they did excel in. See that you excel in this act of grace also. And as I was telling you the other night as we were working through this, the church in this part of the world loves to brag on these things. Yeah. Their faith, but especially their speech and their knowledge. You know? And that's all well and good. You need those things, but... Make sure that you also excel in this act of grace also. Giving. Taking part in the relief of the saints. Yeah. And other humans, man. Don't miss that act of grace. Yeah. It's just as important. Not more so sometimes. Mm. Than your speech. And your raw knowledge. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is amazing. This is amazing. Hear this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. Colon space, this benefits you. All right. What did Paul just do? Mm. He just retold the gospel, the financial metaphor. But it's not a metaphor. He's right. like, that's literally what happened. Right. The God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills bankrupted all that for you. And now you own all the cattle on a thousand hills through Christ. Yep. Right? That's what Paul tells us in Romans. All things are yours. Literally. And one day that'll be manifested. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's a truth now that yeah. you can live out of that we as Christian communities ought to be living out of. Yeah. And we'll talk some history of a community that did. Yeah. But I think, too, that reminds me of when Jesus was anointed um, at Bethany, right? You know, the disciples see it. They're indignant. Why Why waste this? You know, this perfume could have been set at a high, high price. You know, I could sell could have sold it, make bank, sell, you know, use that money to... Um, help the poor, right? And in Matthew 26, uh, verse 10, he goes, Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? See, she she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will all sorry. The poor will always have you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And I think that that points to a lot of things in this discussion. One, right? One, she she gave according to her means. You that's know, what she had. That's all she had to give. But also, second, that last verse. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She is now a part of God's story in the same way we are a part of God's story when we give. You know, like it's supposed to be connecting like your story of generosity is also my story of generosity in a sense yeah it doesn't even find its beauty apart from it right it's just a random good act done by a 
I guess, decent person. Mm-hmm. You know? And something I've said before, don't let a good deed go to waste, and we do. Yeah. You know, it's like we it's like when we do give stuff we forget to mention the Jesus aspect right. of it. And then it's like, well, That's why do it? Yeah, it's a big it didn't reach the highest good that it could have, man. Right. But also, like Paul says, it benefits us. Yeah. It benefits us. Who, in their case, a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. As you progress in grace, you will see your desires change. It is supernatural. I don't even tell you otherwise. You will see it as you walk in obedience. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Alright, this is not prosperity preaching, give out everything in an unwise fashion. Right. Right? Paul continuously mentions that clause according to what you have. And I think, too, it's like you can use discretion in that. You want to help, you know, somebody with paying their bills, but you don't have the entirety of their bill money because you're also broke, you know? Like, hey, I can put aside $5 every paycheck, you know, at the end of the month. I can give them this, and that would be a substantial gift for them, you know? Use wisdom in it. Give what you, give what you can. That also might mean give what you can each week. You know, right. or set aside something each week. Right. You know, that's where creativity comes into play along with discretion. Right. If the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Right. Comma space. Why does he say that? Mm. Right. Why does he say that? For this reason, right? For all my conservativelings out there, right? You can you can still your quickening pulse. <laughs> this is not yeah. a commercial for communism or socialism, mm-hmm. right? Because neither one of those systems actually remove the burden; they just shift it, right? Right, and that's right. what Paul's saying. I don't mean to shift the burden. I don't mean for y'all to play hot potato with a mm-hmm. burden here. Or like one person's broken yep. and then it's your turn to be... No, no, no. No, what Paul's saying is if you do this kingdom thing, the way that Christ has to do it, the burdens get erased. Needs are met. And no one lacks. Yeah. Right? How do we know that? Well, Paul's going to quote a text. All right? But it's just to say, it's not... It's, it's not a socialism, right? It is a sacrifice of like Christ's in the sense that you do give something up but by the end of the week that man's still walking how you know what I'm saying Jesus look at the start of Passion Week right Jesus was the one with spiritual life and we were dead by the end of Passion Week everyone has spiritual life mm. it's not like Jesus is now spiritually dead and we live forever mm. No, no, no. The number of people alive it's actually shared. increased. Yeah. Right? And that's how our communities should work. It's not that one person is rich and then gives their riches to another person. Well, you still have one poor person. No, no, no. no. The number of people taken care of actually grows when you do this right. You know? And you give according to what you have. Truly, generously. Right? For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be 
fairness. Now, this is radical because our churches don't work like this. Yeah. I'm just going to say this right now. They, by and large, don't work like this because this is the community Paul's talking to. Yep. Right? A church community. Think about that. All right? These people met in homes, by and large, across the territory city of Corinth, right? Which you could argue is objectively more community-like than showing up on a Sunday morning in your reserved pew spot. They were yeah. met in each other's homes, and they got this rebuke. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, y'all should really be helping each other mm -hmm. live, my dude. Yeah. You see the need, eradicate the need as you're able. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which also means that sometimes handling a need will be a process. Yeah. I would wager most of the time, considering that Christians tend to get tend to be the punching bag of the world throughout our time physically, right? Eradicating a need isn't as simple as giving a one-time gift. The stories that we tell are kind of a disservice of how grace really works. Mm. You know? Oh my gosh, man. We only ever celebrate the stories where God eradicated a need in one fell gift. But we don't ever want to celebrate the times where God eradicated a need over the course of months by introducing a person to community. And through that, through eradicating a need slowly, created many opportunities to answer their true spiritual need. Yep. And by the end of this super long time, you got a much better story. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Those aren't the stories we yeah. celebrate, even though they are the ones that we should. And it's the kind of story that Paul's talking about here. This is a situation that like took a year, man. He mentions mm -hmm. it later on in the in the in the text. It says, yeah, this community was ready like a year ago to be in on this action. They've been doing this action for like a year. This is a long thing. This is a long burden that they were talking about helping the churches in Jerusalem out. Yeah. Which, of course, made sense, because without the churches in Jerusalem, you don't have any Gentile churches. It's only right that they would help them back. You know, but it's just to say, like, eradicating a need isn't as simple, nor is it expected scripturally that it's just fixed it. Mm -hmm. And if you, because sometimes I think if we can't do that, then we don't. It's like, no, do what you can over a period of time, yep. right? Consistency is an amazing help, mm -hmm. Right? Your consistency in helping might be enough of a mental and spiritual boost to someone that they can start doing what they need mm -hmm. to do just off knowing that someone's around me, right? You get the same spiritual boost that Hagar got mm. when she was able to say, my God sees, yep. and I know you're a God that sees. Yep. How do we see that today? Through God just putting a well in front of us mm. sometimes? But usually, we see it through the church, yep. being the hands and feet of Jesus, actually being around us. And through the faces of our spiritual brothers and sisters, we say, through each of these set of eyes, I know my God sees me. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be, man. As it is written, Paul says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, I don't blame you. For not instantly knowing what story that's from. It's not like I did. Alright? Yeah, remember, man. Paul's a Pharisee. No, he's not. He's a Christian. Yeah, yeah he was. <laughs> a redeemed Pharisee. Don't yes. get me wrong. But a Pharisee all the same. And that has its benefits, to be sure. You know what I'm saying? Like the, scripture. the scripture that this man could pull from with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. That is awesome. He just quoted the story of Israel gathering the manna, right? Mm -hmm. 
I had to write it down because I'm like never in there. But it's Exodus chapter 16. I'll rattle on myself. I don't care. It's also in my podcast. You know what I'm saying? Exodus 16, man. I know Meredith was surprised when it was asked. She was like, Exodus? Yeah. What? Yeah. What does the mana have to do with this? We'll see. And this is, I think, where we're going to land the plane on this one. Because this one's awesome, man. The mana meditation. So we know the story, right? Israel just got freed from slavery. Reminiscent of us being freed from sin. My guy. And so they're wandering through the wilderness. I say wandering. They're moving. They're not wandering yet. They're not aimlessly moving around. Not aimlessly moving. Not yet. They will earn that. Yeah. We're not at that part of the story yet, right? So, like... God's giving them manna from heaven, feeding them, you know what I'm saying? And there's some interesting things about this manna. Some interesting things about it. One of the things about it is that you couldn't collect it for multiple days. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, unless unless the Sabbath day was the next day, then you could collect for two, so that way you didn't have to work on the Sabbath day. But you couldn't try and get ahead of God, per se. You know what I'm saying? Because some, some of them tried, you know? You know, man, I'm gonna collect for multiple days, and then I don't have to for the next day. And yeah, that's not how that works. The the manna rotted. The stuff that they didn't eat that day, you know. But the verse he's quoting is Exodus uh, 16, verse 18. But when they measured it with an omer, a measuring tool, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat right now let me back up and give you some context right starting in verse let's say a 13 in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp and when the dew had gone up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake like thing fine as frost on the ground when the people of israel saw it they said to one another what is it that's also why they called it manna because it was kind of a Hebrew way of saying, we don't know what to call this. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to call it, we don't know what to call this. Very, uh, I think I get along with them in that way. Uh, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And manna, and, and Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Interesting, because that's exactly how they reacted to Christ. What is he? Who is this man? He's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. That, Ooh. Uh, that's what he is. You know? And, you, like I said, you see the parallels, right? Jesus the, said the Old Testament the thing, sa- what? The same way the manna was eventually rejected by Israel, so too was Christ eventually rejected by Israel. The gospel in Exodus say what? Right? They ate the manna for a time. Just like they heard Jesus out for a time. The parallels, man. But not forever. Are you, are you just now seeing these parallels? No, it's just, it gets me every time. Because when I was going through Exodus last year, I'd be like, that's Jesus. That's it is, Jesus. Man, it's, it's wild, man. It makes perfect sense. Jesus. Perfect sense. No, it's just, it kills me every time when people are like, I don't read the Old Testament. It's not really relevant. You know, we have Jesus now, so we don't need to read it. Oh, we'll like, see how relevant listen, this one is. The right? gospel on every page. The gospel in the book of Leviticus. It's there. It's there. Look for it. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. It's just an amount. I don't know. You can think of it as a pound. It is a currency. You can think of it as a pound for all I care. You shall each take an omer. No, it's a weight. It's a weight, yeah. It's a weight. It's it's like an amount. I don't know if it's a volume or an amount, but it's, you know, it's a measuring amount. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. 
and the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right? This is their daily bread. All right? Well, the manna is not just a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ at its highest application. Lower application is your daily bread. This is money, bro. Think of your think of the manna here as money. This is how money should flow. This is how resources should flow within the kingdom. Whoever gathered much, those of y'all in the in the church community that are blessed to bring in six and seven figures, y'all are gathering much. But what does it speak of people like you? They had nothing left over. Strive to have nothing left over. Not not to say you can't have a saving or anything ridiculous like that. But just to say, don't try and hoard it, man. Worms get bread from that. Yep. And for those of you that are in a season of gathering little, have faith. You'll have what you need. Yep. In part, in practical part, because those that gather much in the church community are willing to give of what they have to assist you why is it out of the goodness of their hearts no paul tells us why it's because you get to reenact the gospel story with your wallets yep. and with your resources on a dang near daily basis yep with the needy saints in your in, in your uh, in your fellowship man mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's not about demonstrating your goodness. It's about demonstrating his goodness, which is a much better source of motivation than somebody saying, well, I got to get my good deed in for the day. Because mm -hmm. some days you just I got to pay it forward when I go get my coffee. Just pay it forward. Whatever, man. Whatever, man. I guess so. I guess so. All y'all that pay it forward in the drive-thru, pay it forward in the church first. That's mm. what I got to say, bro. Like, that's, that's just, that's just, that's just self-serving egotistical giving bro mm -hmm. do something where no one's gonna know mm -hmm. oh i just want to give for the i mean look i'm not saying <laughs> that people won't do it out of kindness and i'll accept it if it happens to me i'm just saying if, if you're willing to do that for someone you don't know you better be willing to do it for those in your church communities mm -hmm. right and as we do that for each other in our church communities see how attractive that is right the christians early on in rome did that mm -hmm. you look at the history Maybe we'll talk about it in another day. You know what I'm saying? Episode's kind of long. I think we made our point. But Christian communities in Rome, during multiple plagues, mm -hmm. what seemed to be smallpox outbreaks, two in a row, separated by barely a century, in a nation where they were vastly outnumbered, as little as 0.02% of the population at a time. And... Roman Emperor at the time didn't like him. And you know what that means. Hmm. You know? Hmm. They were so routinely generous to their own communities of Christians and the outside pagan world that you can look it up. You look up Emperor Julian, letter Galileans, because he called Christians Galileans. Put that into your Google and. Don't listen to the nonsense about his dying words being, You've won, O Galilean. I wish that were true. It seems to be an embellishment from later sources, right? Don't believe false narratives, even if they would be nice narratives, <laughs> all right? The truth is satisfying enough. And the truth is, he really did complain to his priests 
that it is well known within the empire that our people ain't getting no help from us. Yeah. But that those impious Galileans are able to help not only their own needy, but ours as well. Mm. Rome had no social safety nets, brother. Yeah. And they were less than 1% of the population. Mm. And yet, they were so routinely generous that their stigma was they're generous. Yeah. And it's weird, but we kind of like it. Yeah. And everyone's dying, so yeah. use them. Yeah. And as, that, as they did that, their numbers grew. Because people saw life... And then they met life. You know? In a nation where we are so numerous that we actually think we're a Christian one. Mm. Why are services like WIC necessary as a primary resort? Yeah. Instead of a secondary or tertiary yep. resort. Yep. Especially in the Bible Belt, brother. Yep. Y'all got churches on every street corner. Don't so tell me y'all can't. multiple churches. T- don't tell me y'all don't have means. Yeah. With y'all extra yachts and mm-hmm. with your freaking tobacco money. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you got enough money to poison yourself, you got enough money to reenact the gospel through your wallet. My thing is, like, it's... There's so many ripple effects that stem from this, right? Like, we were talking about um, foster care the other day, right? And my thought is, like, how many, not just how many kids would not end up in the system, but how many parents wouldn't even have to go to a system, you know? Like, so often kids just need a temporary place to be while mom and dad get clean or mom and dad get a new job because they've been homeless because they got laid off and living in a car, right? So DSS stepped in. Like, what if instead of living in their car, somebody from a church was like, come stay with us, you know? We're going to help you get back on your feet. We're going to help you find a job. We're going to help you find a new place to live. You're going to be here rent-free, no strings attached until you get on your feet, right? Like, But because not enough of us are stepping up to do things like that, we have so many kids in foster care that end up in this system and they end up in these cycles, you know, like the cycle of welfare and what have you. Like people get stuck in these systems when all it takes is the church to be the church. I mean, heck, I won't toot our own horns too much on this, but like we took somebody in some time ago and while we weren't able to help that person as much as we would have liked, by extension... Um, we were able to help that person's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that person's significant other and their family unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last I heard from them, not just mom, but not just mom had a job, but child had a job, which mm-hmm. was that, which was a good thing for that kid because yeah. that kid needed to be out of some of the stuff he was in. Yeah. Um, you know, to the point where they're able to like, you know actually get a place and move Mm -hmm. out from a toxic situation all of that because two knuckleheads like us were like you can crash on our couch crash on our couch for like three or four days it's cool Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like oh look not every story turns out that successfully we have more quote-unquote failures than successes (laughs) um but the fact still remains man like we're barely middle not even at this point Mm -hmm. i mean depending on how you count it we're like under the poverty line until I graduate, yes, yes. <laughs> but, more months. But that's my thing, man. Like, my challenge, bro, to any Christian family that hears this pod, bro. If you consider yourself to be 
anywhere in middle class and above, look for something to do. Yeah. Be like Job. Search out a cause you didn't know anything about. Mm. And start applying some of your excess to it. Yeah. And as Paul says in Romans, strive to outdo each other with honor, which means letting go of your pride. Yeah. That's how we got to compete, bro. Yep. That's how we got to compete, man. Yep. You know? And when it's your turn to receive help, receive it graciously as an extension of the grace of the cross that you already received happily. Yeah. If you're willing to receive eternal charity, you should be okay with receiving temporary charity. Mm. It's cool. Plain and simple. We're all beggars here, man. <laughs> Ain't nobody a king with that one up there. Yep. That's cool. Yep. That's cool. Yep. But yeah, man, that's uh, that's what we got to say on that. Um, I was really pleased with that one. I was really pleased with that one. Um, but you'll see as we move forward, man. Like this is this is a big one. Like. If you start pushing into this, and not even in like an extreme way, but even if you start just orienting your thoughts towards how do I, mm -hmm. how do I orient my life to where I actually can give of my money to the poor, like Jesus commands us to, so I actually can get some money bags up in heaven. You'll see that every other aspect of your spiritual life starts to grow just because you seriously started asking that question. Yep. I'll say, man, the second I took Jesus seriously in Luke, there. And actually started putting, okay, that's what he says. Let's do it. I'll tell you, man, my prayer life got better. Because mm. it was like, yo, I'm start, I, there's deficiencies here. Yeah. Help. There's a lot of selfishness here. Help. I need grace. Help. I got sin strongholds. I, I got help. You know what I'm saying? Like, let, let me fellowship. Let me, let me see what's going on. Like, a lot of stuff that I should have been doing came back and progressed as I pushed into this, right? Again, again, y'all being, we be, not just y'all, we are being sung to sleep here, man. Yep. By the lullaby of Satan and don't even know it. Yep. Start pushing into regular Christianity 101 basic level day one expectations of Jesus. Yeah. And watch your spiritual life come back to life. Watch yep. the Lord restore the joy of your salvation mm. unto you as you start walking in the things that are supposed to be joyous about salvation. Right. It's more yeah. blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. And blessed is extreme happiness. That's yeah. the that's the translation, man. Yeah. It's more extremely happy to give than to receive. Mm. And yet you say you want happiness and you ain't given. Hmm. There's a contradiction there, my guy. And I think, too, to predicate, like, you know, to restore the joy of your salvation, what do you have to do? You have to, like the psalmist writes, to clean my heart, O Lord. Repent of the pride. Repent of the selfishness in your prayers. And he will restore, you know, yeah, the man. joy of your salvation. Yeah, but if you're going to have that, body, if you're going to let the stronghold of pride take you over... You're not gonna. You're you're thieving yourself of joy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we got, man. That's what we got. Yeah. Go out there, be foreigners, dog. Go out there, be foreigners. That was a good last word. And I say, at the end of this, in the vein of those who inspired me, bruh. Until next time, go serve your king. Peace.